Thank you, Mike. I add my welcome to that of Heather's. It's uh, good to be with you tonight. My name's Luke, if I haven't met you. Uh, I'd love to meet you afterwards. Uh, we have been looking at the letter of James, uh, written by the brother of Jesus to a bunch of first century Christians, uh, likely quite a knowledgeable bunch of Christians, uh, perhaps very confident. They knew a lot of facts, they knew a lot of things, but they were clearly in danger of not putting uh, what they claimed to believe into action. It's a very practical letter in many ways, and today uh, we come uh, to the subject of how we speak, our speech, our tongue, our words, uh, and the power that these things have over our lives and the lives of others. Uh, I'm not sure if you grew up with the, the playground proverb of sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Uh, and we kind of get the logic behind why this uh, advice was given to us as children, perhaps. You know, we don't want to let the mean kids get to us, not let those mean words get under our skin. But it is a strange lesson because it's completely wrong, isn't it? It's completely wrong. Uh, it's the opposite of how the world is. We can actually, our bones can be repaired. We can have surgery and all kinds of things. But uh, there are deep scars and damage that can be caused by, by words, and they can be permanent, can't they? They can feel permanent. And I think James knows this, and he devotes this section, chapter 3, these first 12 verses, to help us understand the seriousness with which we speak and the way that we speak. Our speech matters a lot. And that's kind of the big thing that we're going to think about tonight. Our speech matters a lot. And he gives us at least six reasons why attending to our speech uh, matters a lot and we're going to look at them first of all our speech matters because we're accountable for our words we see there in verse one not many should become teachers my brothers knowing that we will receive a stricter judgment now uh, we do know as christians if you've been a christian for a while that proclaiming the good news of jesus uh, is something that we want all christians to do in a kind of unrestrained unfiltered way we want people to be able to scream from the rooftops that Jesus is Lord. But James also warns that our words do have consequences and that those teach, whether officially or not, should be very cautious and sober because we will be accountable for our words. That is, many of us can be eager to teach and have a platform or a voice for all kinds of reasons, but there is a cause here in this opening verse for us to be sober-minded, to be cautious. Actually, for people like myself who get up and teach each week and preach each week, my words are not just going to be uh, sound waves in the air. There's a sense in which our words have power. And not just for people like me, anyone, I think, in a, in a position where you ha have, a, have listeners and you're a teacher, there's a sense in which James is saying our words carry power and so we should be cautious about how we approach the role of being a speaker of words because words carry power. They're not just sound waves going over the air that just go over people's heads. Well, sometimes on a Sunday night they might go over your head, but you know, most of the time they've got this, they carry this power. Now, the good thing about this verse here, I think, in verse 1, when it says uh, those who become teachers will receive a stricter judgment this actually comes a word of comfort i think for those who might have been hurt by teachers who have abused 
uh, their position of influence. Uh, they will be held to account. There is a word of comfort uh, for those people uh, who might have had negative experiences of people who have abused their position of influence uh, and their words have been uh, quite damaging. They will be held to account. There's a sense in which God is going to hold them in a particular, uh, to a particular level of account because of their position of influence. That's the first reason why our speech matters a lot because we are, are accountable and we are held accountable for our words. They're not just meaningless things. The second reason our speech matters a lot is it because it reflects our whole body. You see there in verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. Uh, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a mature man who is also able to control his whole body. Now this is perhaps a, a puzzling... Sorry, <laughs> Am I getting an echo here? This is perhaps a puzzling sentence at first glance. Uh, it, doesn't it doesn't seem to be saying, if we just get our words exactly right, then everything about us will be right. It seems closer to the idea that in the way that we can control and conduct our speech, it actually it will re reflect to a certain extent our ability to control our whole selves, right? Now, a number of years ago, soon after uh, we got married, Vic and I, my wife, uh, we were we were uh, having a holiday with some friends, and we were we were we were as, an, as another couple, and we we're in two separate cars. I think we were trying to find somewhere to have lunch somewhere, and we we're driving along, and I think we called them in the car and said, "Where are we going to go for lunch?" And the, this couple said, "Oh, why don't we go to that burger place?" And, and, and I said, oh, okay, let's, let's go to that burger place. And then I hung up and then I said to Vic, I said, why do we have to go to the burger place? They always choose where we go, right? I thought I'd hung up. <laughs> and, yeah, we just, you know, the, the words reflect your heart, don't they? <laughs> I don't know if you've had those moments where you think you're speaking off the record. That someone, you know, you think, oh, no, that's not what I really meant. No, normally I'm, you know, our words reflect our heart, don't they? Third thing, our speech matters because it directs. It doesn't just reflect our body, like all, reflect all that's going on in us, our heart, but our speech matters because it directs the whole body. That is, the extent to which we give thoughtful care to how we speak will not just be limited to what we say, it will actually flow out to all the things that we do. So James gives two examples of how something as small as a tongue and our speech can have great power over the whole body. The first is he gives examples of a horse. Verse 3, now when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we also guide the whole animal. Now I'm not an expert <laughs> in horses, but it seems that we've got this tiny little piece of leather and I don't know metal that kind of goes into the mouth of a horse and that can direct a couple of hundred kilograms of a horse in all kinds of directions very very powerful little thing the second example massive ship verse four very large hit around by different winds they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot not the pirate Hayden pilot <laughs> I like the pirate, it could work, you know, the pilot directs. 
The analogy is really, I think, clear. You know, we get the point. There's a small thing that is directing, having huge amount of influence. Now, I take this works on a few different levels. There's the individual level, that is, the words that we choose to say or not say won't just reflect our heart and reflect that awkward conversation with that Vic and I had in the car. It was actually mainly me, it wasn't Vic. But it was, it, it, that doesn't just reflect our heart, it actually shapes the way that we feel and relate to others and our values. In that sense, it, it will direct our, our, our body and our, and our, our actions and our, our behaviour. But in other sense, I think this speech has the power to talk about not just the whole body as in the, the human body, but the whole body of people, because that seems to be the, the sense that um, James is talking about in his letter. He's speaking to a, a bunch of Christians and how they relate to one another. That is, the words that we say can transform a culture and the way that we do things and the things that we value and the way that we conduct ourselves. I was at a church a number of years ago, many years ago, and uh, there was a real culture of cynicism growing in that particular congregation. I'm going to call that church St. Mark's because it wasn't St. Mark's, but just so that we don't start guessing which church it was, it was very common to hear things like, oh, you know, St. Mark's is, you know, I mean, I wish we'd just, people would go, oh, I wish St. Mark's would just um, do more of this, or what the church should be doing is caring for the poor, or whatever, there's this kind of, what the, what, what the St. Mark's is this and that. And, and I remember the minister at the time, this culture was a growing of cynicism where all these kind of comments, and he, he encouraged everyone. Now, what he could have done was he could have gone and said, look, there's this culture of cynicism that's going on in this church, and I'm going to address it by deconstructing what's going on, trying to talk about, okay, we need to address this, and we need to address this, and we need to address this, and try to, uh, try to really um, tackle this problem of cynicism. But what he did instead was he would get up and he'd... St he, I remember he encouraged the whole church to stop using the word church or St Mark's and switch everything to the first person, to the first person plural. So instead of saying, that's typical of St Mark's, it's that's typical of us, Right? So he switched to the first, rather than why isn't, why doesn't St. Mark, why doesn't the church do this and this? Why, why aren't I doing this? Or why aren't we doing this, right? And what was fascinating is that almost overnight, the cynicism in the church dissipated, went away. And how was it done? It was really just by changing a few syllables, a few letters, from a, one word to another word. Because the power of our words and our language don't just reflect our heart, they can actually change culture. The way that we speak about, if we're married, the way that we speak about our wives or husbands, it actually changes the way that we feel and the way that we think about them. That's the third thing. The fourth thing, our speech matters because it has the power to destroy so much. See there, verse 5, the tongue, though a small part of the body... It boasts great things. Consider how large a forest a small fire ignites. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among the parts of our bodies. It pollutes the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is set on fire by hell. It's strong, isn't it? 
that language. And we will probably know of lives that have been literally destroyed by bullying words. People who have taken their lives because of bullying words. We will know of churches that have been destroyed and torn apart by false teaching. Now, speech matters because it has the power to destroy so much. It's interesting there, isn't it? There's the, as a side note, you see there in verse 6, the fire of hell sets the, the course of life on fire. Brings to mind the other kind of fire that we hear in relationship to tongues in the day of Pentecost. Tongues of fire from the Holy Spirit, which were tongues of life, right? We see that's, there's, there's a different kind of tongue that brings life. More on that in a moment. Fifth thing, our speech matters because we struggle to control it. See there in verse 7, every sea creature, reptile, bird or animal is tamed and has been tamed by man. Interestingly enough, one of the first things that we know in the Genesis accounts of what humanity and the man does is he tames the animals by using speech, by naming them, by giving them order, by naming them. And then it goes, verse 8, No man can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. We praise our Lord and Father with it, and we curse men who are made in God's likeness with it. Praising and cursing come out of the same mouth. So much good can come from our speech and so much damage. Wonderful praise, destructive words, and it can feel so wild and uncontrollable at times, doesn't it? A well-intended conversation can quickly descend into gossip so rapidly. The idea of Christians starting to share prayer points can turn into slander points, can't they? Well intended, we wake up the next day wishing we could have controlled our speech better. You might know that experience where you might have been told something in absolute confidence you cannot tell anybody. And you find yourself chatting to your best friend or something the next day and you say, okay, I'll tell you it, but you can't tell anybody. So you feel okay about yourself because at least you've passed on what you're not allowed to tell anyone but with the proviso that they can't tell anybody. And then they go and tell somebody on the proviso that they don't tell anybody. We all feel good about ourselves. How rapidly, how wild our tongue is. It's so hard to tame and rein in. It was interesting, uh, in the presidential campaign in 2016 with, I think it was the, the Donald Trump um, one of the Donald Trump ones, the Donald Trump and Clinton one, there was that vile uh, recording that became, um, that was released um, in the lead up. And uh, this vile word. And it was fascinating that, uh, and I don't want to get political here because it's not, <laughs> but the, just the language that stood out to me, Trump in his defence of this vile, vile word was, well, it was just words. It was just locker room talk. As if, it's sound waves in the air. It doesn't do any damage. There's nothing to be held accountable for. It's just words. Words are very damaging, destructive, culture-shaping, 
character shaping. Sixth thing, our speech matters because the way things are now is not the way they should be. My brothers, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. We can't say, well, that's just human nature, not perfect. It's not the way that we're made. It shouldn't be like this. The untamed tongue is not how things should be, where we at one moment praise God and then slander God's image bearers. Or vice versa, praise God's image bearers and slander God. So why does our speech matter? We've got six things. First of all, we're accountable for our words. Secondly, our speech reflects our whole body. Thirdly, our speech directs our whole body. Fourthly, our speech has the power to destroy Fifthly, we struggle to control our speech. And sixthly, things shouldn't be this way. Now, if that's all we heard tonight, that's, a, that's not a bad thing to take away, right? Speech, our speech really, really matters. Our God is a speaking God. We are made in his image. Our speech matters. Our speech is powerful. Next week, we're going to be thinking a little bit more about how we can transform our speech and our actions in light of the gospel. But briefly... I'd like to suggest just four ways forward from what we've been thinking about tonight and the way in which we are going to deal with our speech and tame our tongue. The first, be sober. You might have picked that up from the Proverbs reading. Why is it that Christians and people who read God's word are against drunkenness. We're not against alcohol. Jesus drank. Alcohol is not... We're not against alcohol. Why are Christians against drunkenness? Is it just because it's a rule? Christians don't get drunk. Christians don't have fun. Right? Is that why it is? Right? Sometimes that's what people think. You know, it's a bunch of rules, so you can't have fun and you can't get drunk. No. Right? Why is it that Christians don't get drunk well we think our speech really matters why would we want to put anything into our bodies to make our tongues even looser and wilder than they already are so i've been to weddings and occasions and it's sad i find when i'm with with other christians who i see on sundays in the week and they are just speaking either slanderously about people they ordinarily wouldn't under the influence of alcohol or ridiculously flattering in ways that they ordinarily wouldn't. And it's all in the name of having a good time. But words actually matter. You can't take those words back. You can't put them back. When you say these things, why would you put stuff into your body and keep drinking stuff that's going to make you less and less in control of your words and your actions? If, as we've seen tonight, it can do so much damage, why would we want to be in less control than we already are? Be sober. It's not about legalism. It's about seeing that our speech really does matter. It can bring life and it can be destructive. Second, be quick to listen. 
and slow to speak. We saw this uh, in the opening chapter. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Slow to speak, quick to listen. Be people who seek to hear before we speak. Slowing down our speech is a good way of being careful with our speech. Third, seek the wisdom from above. We're going to see this next week. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. That is, there is a context where we can have our speech shaped and transformed and that is the wisdom that comes from heaven. That's the wisdom that comes from God that transforms the way that we speak. Now, the way that we do that, the way that we actually have our speech changed and transformed, especially with this untamable tongue, it seems, is not necessarily by just getting a bunch of words right. The most important thing, fourth and finally, is that we hear God's word. We're listeners to God's word. First and foremost, you know, Jesus, what did he do? He, he calmed the storms with a word, be quiet, be still. With a word, he said, be clean. To us, he has said, we are forgiven, go in peace, our sins are forgiven. Have we heard God's word to us? We're reminded in Ephesians, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. In 1 Peter we read, you're chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may slander everybody. No, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Do you know who you are? Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Our speech matters. God has spoken. God has spoken his true and perfect word to us in his son. Have we responded to him? Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that you have spoken to us and you have spoken your perfect word to us in your Son. We ask that you'll help us to be people who watch our speech. Help us to be people who are accountable for our words. Help us to see the power of our words to bring life and to bring destruction. Help us not to be flippant with the things that we say. Help us to redirect our words and our habits of our speech into words that honour you and build others up. And we ask for our community, that we'll be a community of people who speak words that build others up and not bring others down. Help us to be a community of people that resist gossip and slander, but honest, loving words of care and mercy that's how you've treated us. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.
Hello. Oh, hello. Uh, well, as we've heard tonight, um, our words are incredibly powerful. 